All right, wasn't that fun? Yeah, you were made to meet your maker, every one of us. God designed us to meet with him, to know him, to be loved by him, and he wants us to wake up to that fact, to wake our souls up to experience him. If you would, go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program so you can follow along. They look like this. Maybe you can take some notes today. All the Bible verses I'll use will be here. If you want to open your Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 4 because we'll be looking there for quite some time uh, as our, in our time together today. If you happen to pick up a lobby Bible, these are on both sides of the fireplace. Every time you come in, if you want to pick up one, you can use it while you're here. Just make sure to put it back when you leave, except if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have a Bible. And so if you just stop by, you can just pick one up and take it. It's our gift free to you. If you want to have a Bible, we'd love for everyone to have one. But if you want to use it while you're here, you can put it back, and then someone else can use that next time as well. Now, this past summer, I had the privilege of taking my family traveling to our nation's capital. It, it was one of those, honestly, life-altering, worldview-expanding trips. I'd never been to our nation's capital, and I'd heard so much, and I was so excited. I did a lot of research before I went, and so we saw everything that we could. We saw all the historical sites. We saw the monuments. We saw the Capitol. We saw the White House. We saw the Congress. We had the private tour of the Congress that we were able to establish. And we went inside there. We saw the Library of Congress. We saw Arlington National Cemetery. We saw everything, everything, including a million eighth graders, okay? <laughs> a million at least eighth graders. If you've ever done this thing, you know that in the summer, all these schools take their kids to the Capitol to be there. And so there were just literally crawling everywhere as we were there. We also happened to be there during uh, one of those heat spells that Washington, D.C. can have. And so it was about 100 degrees, about 90% humidity. It was stifling. It was smelly. It was all the things you can imagine. But see, as I went through the sites, I had heard about all these sites before. I had heard stories about our nation's capital and what these sites would represent. I'd heard those in my entire life. But something happened to me while I was there. Here's what happened. I realized that you can hear about something. You can actually read about something. You can actually watch videos about something. But you cannot imagine what it's like until you're actually there. You actually go there yourself so you can feel it, smell it, touch it, taste it, sense it. And hear the stories of people that are passionate about those sites who have given their entire lives, basically, to helping other people to pass on history. And I realized that at that moment, that there's just something, you've got to experience something. Well, one of the things that we got to experience is we went to the spot where Dr. Martin Luther King stood in 1963. Now, I took a picture. There's my daughter right there. Okay. There's my daughter. And we're right at the spot where Martin Luther King said when he gave his I have a dream speech. Now, I did that, and we spent quite a bit of time there reflecting because I wanted us to talk about and be able to understand the power that one person has to change the world. The power that one person has to change and make a difference in the world. I just want to read some of the comments that Dr. Martin Luther King made that day when he stood in that same spot. He says this, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and it will live out the true meaning of the creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men 
are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will someday live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, or by, but they will be judged by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. He had a dream, and he made a difference because he spoke his dream and lived his dream into existence. Now, I stood there that day, and I reflected on what it must have been like to be there that day, to hear those words, and then to get caught up in the movement that was created because of these statements. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about another moment in history we have recorded for us. We don't have video of it like we have of Dr. Martin Luther King, but we have recorded for us. It's another moment in history where a gentleman stands up in front of a crowd and says, basically, I have a dream. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in the first recorded sermon that he ever gave, he stands up and he speaks words. His have a dream statement. His have a dream speech. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at his have a dream speech. I have a dream, the dream that he had, but then the dream that he wanted his church to fulfill in this world. And what I want to do today is I want to wake our souls up to the mission and vision of Jesus Christ. As we're at 20 years, 20 years. I don't want us to lose touch with what it is that we're called to do and why we're called to do it. See, Jesus came and he came on earth. He was challenging those who had been worshiping God for a long time. And it had become same old, same old. It had become measuring people by external measurements, superficial ones, to say the least. And he came and he challenged those who thought they had God all figured out. He challenged those who thought, if God ever sent the Messiah to this world, guess where he would come? (laughs) He'd come to my house. That's how they felt. And Jesus came and he challenged those folks with another way of thinking. He wanted to wake them up, wake them up. And his very first sermon is recorded in Luke chapter 4. That very first sermon that Jesus spoke is also the very first verses that we used at Twin Cities Church when we inaugurated our church and what God has called us to be in this place. So here's what I want to do. So you want to write these three things down. I'm going to walk us through his vision statement. I'm going to get us there in just a minute. I have a dream statement, but I want us to understand it first. Here's the go. I want to wake our souls so we can look for the purpose of Jesus. So that's the idea first. I want to wake us up so we can look for the purpose of Jesus, the purpose that he said that he came to fulfill on this earth. At the end of the verses that we're going to look at, actually verse 43. In verse 43, Jesus says this. He says, I must preach. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So there we go. There's this message. There's this purpose. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he says this, because that is why I was sent. He was sent for that. So if you circle that, circle the kingdom of God, and then why I was sent, you know why Jesus came, his purpose. Jesus came to proclaim, to teach, to illustrate the good news, he says, of the kingdom of God. Now, most people, when you ask them, why did Jesus come? Most people, especially if they've been in church very long at all, most people would say Jesus came to die on a cross. Yes, Jesus came to die on a cross. 
But Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's larger story that he was saying, that he was telling. Larger story where part of what Jesus was doing as he died on the cross is he made it possible for everybody to be part of the kingdom of God. Only through the cross. But the cross was not the central thing that Jesus came to do. He came to establish, to inaugurate, to initiate God's reign on earth. God's reign on earth. That's the kingdom of God. He came to do that. And so the whole plan, God's plan throughout the ages, the Bible says, even before creation began, was fulfilled and came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So no longer, because Jesus came, no longer would people be held to external, superficial, religious markers to see who was in and who was out. No longer would that be the case. But Jesus came, and he came to set us free, set us free from the boundaries, the rules of religion, so that we could be acceptable to God in his kingdom. Now, as I said earlier, he's talking to those who had thought they had it all figured out. <laughs> and I just think that Jesus, I love Jesus. He was not a politician. <laughs> Jesus told it like it was, like it was, okay? So look at this. He's talking to those who had, they thought they had it all figured out. If Jesus would come, he'd come for them. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 2, looking right at those guys. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Now, they're the healthy ones in this point. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, who think they're already in, who think they've already earned favor with God, but those who know they are sinners. I have come for those who know they are sinners. And folks, those words of Jesus are true. And that's why for 20 years now, one of our slogans at Twin Cities Church is, this is not a hotel for saints. This is a hospital for sinners, okay? That's who we are. This is a hospital where it's okay to come and be broken and okay to need healing and need help and need a helping hand up. That's who we are. It's a place where it's safe to admit that you need others that we're all in need of the healing touch of the Father. No one deserves God's love. No one has earned God's love. It's God's free gift. And Jesus came to inaugurate God's kingdom on earth. Now, how did he do it? That's the second thing, is we need to wake up to Jesus and live the priorities of Jesus. We need to wake up and live the priorities of Jesus. So we have to live according to his priorities, and this is his I have a dream speech. So kind of give you some context here. Uh, Jesus, about 30 years of age, he, he started and initiated his public ministry, and as a part of his public ministry, he went to the River Jordan, and just like uh, these folks identified with God today through baptism, Jesus identified with God by being baptized by John the Baptist. Immediately after that, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. This is immediately after that temptation. Immediately after that temptation, Jesus goes back to his hometown. And I just love the fact that he went back to his hometown. He went back to his roots. He went back to the place where he was from. And he says, at this place, I'm going to inaugurate my ministry. Now you think about that. Not often is a hometown boy accepted, right? But oftentimes people will go back to their hometown to launch their new thing. Think about politicians. They go back to their hometown. They talked about Romney this weekend saying if he didn't win Michigan, his home state, then he couldn't win the nomination. 
And so he went back to his hometown to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is what it says then, beginning in verse 16. It says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. So obviously, Jesus was already accepted as a rabbi. So he must have been a pretty wise guy to be able to, at 30 years old, to be able to be considered a rabbi who would be allowed at the time the Bible, the, the, the scroll was opened in the synagogue to open it up and to read the scriptures. And so he went there and he was allowed to do that because he was the hometown boy. That was the Jewish tradition is that, that when they would come into the synagogue on the Sabbath, that the rabbi would stand up, the scroll would be opened, and the rabbi would read from the scroll. So here's what happened. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. So I'm going to give you some context so you understand exactly what happened. That the rabbi would stand up and read, the scroll would be opened, the scroll was written in ancient Hebrew. The reader would read the ancient Hebrew scroll. Now, here's the deal. Very few people in that day spoke ancient Hebrew. And so what would happen is, is that the reader would read in ancient Hebrew, and there would be a translator who would then translate it into Aramaic, which is the common language of the day. So Jesus read in Hebrew. The translator translated it in Aramaic. After the translator was finished, the, the Bible says here that Jesus then sat down. And so what would happen is, is that the teacher would then sit down, and as the teacher sat down, then the listeners would all stand up, and then they would stand around so they could get the best view, and the teacher would sit, and the listeners would stand. And I was thinking about that. <laughs> I'm thinking, 20 years, we've been doing it this way, and maybe we've got to try another tradition. <laughs> And do it the biblical way for our third decade. Probably not, but I just thought it sounded good. <laughs> and then it says this. It says, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him, because they're waiting. They're waiting on him to expound what he's just read. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, instead of Jesus going to a long explanation of what it was that he had just read and teaching, he explains to them what he meant by reading these verses in one sentence. His sermon was one sentence long. I'm sure some of you are thinking right now. <laughs> one, sermon, one sentence sermons, the norm, okay. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever happen, okay, just so you know. So Jesus said, Here's why I came. I'm doing my I have a dream moment right now. Here are the priorities I came to establish. I'm going to inaugurate the kingdom of God, and I have a dream. I have a dream. Now turn your notes over, and let's talk about what that dream was. Let's talk about the priorities that he's called us to fulfill on this earth, that he's called us to engage with him. This is the dream that Jesus has called, came for himself, and he's called us together to fulfill. Here we go. We passionately work together to help others first know God's grace. So that's his first dream, that we would help others know God's grace so that his church would be a place where God's grace is known, so that all people would know and understand God's grace. 
God's grace, that we would bring the good news to the poor. The good news to the poor. Now, you got to know, when we looked at every one of these categories today, they both, they, every one of them has both a spiritual and a physical component. A spiritual and a physical component. I'm not going to distinguish every time because I think it'll be clear for you if it's a spiritual or physical component that would be primary that Jesus is talking to. But just know, they're both there in every point. That word poor doesn't mean someone who finds themselves at the end of the day without any money in their pocket and they want to go to jack-in-the-box. And so they're thinking, well, how do I go to Jack in the Box? So they call someone up and they say, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? I want to go to, this, you know, go to Jack in the Box and they're able to get 20 bucks. Or we're able to look around and say, you know, if I were to do this work for my neighbor today, go over there for an hour, I could earn enough money that I could go to Jack in the Box this afternoon. That's not what poor means here. This word poor means that someone who is so destitute that they can do absolutely nothing to change their circumstance or situation. They can't work. They can't think of opportunities. They have no one to help them, no one around them who will lift them up. They are so poor, and they know it, and they're willing to admit it, and there's no help from them. That's the poor Jesus is talking about here. So you think about that in the spiritual realm. What he's talking about here is he says, I came to give good news to those who are willing to admit that they are spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. And what that means is those who are willing to bend a knee, to bend a knee before a holy God and say, God, I can do absolutely nothing to earn your favor. I can do absolutely nothing. Nothing to earn your love. And God, I'm hopeless without you. I'm poor in spirit. I need your grace. And Jesus says, people need to know how poor they are. And our job is to help people to know that in that state, there is hope. But also, he's called us to help those who are physically poor. He's called us to help those who have no way up, who have no, they're at the ends of their means. And he says, I have a dream that my church will be engaged in helping those who are physically poor and spiritually poor both so that people can be made whole. That's the first level of the dream that we're going to do together. The second one is this. The second one is that we're going to bring and we're going to work together for him to bring freedom, to bring freedom. He says, I have a dream that people will be free, that they will be freed from captivity, that they will be delivered, or they will be moving into recovery. Freedom or deliverance for those who are captives or prisoners. Now, just know that you can be a spiritual captive, or you can be physically captive or emotionally captive to something. Spiritually captive means that I'm a prisoner to my sin to my sinful condition, and I need to be set free from that. All who are in that, it's, the Bible says, are dead in their sins, and they need to be set free. I'm a captive of that. But also, there are people who are captives to their addictions, to their hang-ups, to their hurts, to their emotions. And folks, just know, Jesus says, I want my church to go set all of them free. All of them free. I want you to be engaged in helping people who are captives. Some know it, some don't. But I want you to be the kind of place where people can walk in and they'll just be able to walk in and they'll say, I don't know what happened when I came to that place today, but first I was accepted. Second, I felt this sensation that happened. I don't know what happened while I was there, but for the first time in my life, I feel like I could be free and I feel like I'd have hope. That's the kind of place I want you to be. And I want you to help people to know that they need that spiritual release so that they can be free as well. And then the next is this. He says, I want you to be about bringing wholeness or healing. 
I don't want you to be about together bringing wholeness or healing into this world. I dreamed that my church would be a place about wholeness or healing. He says, the blind will see. You know, it's just rich language there because the Bible says that those who don't know God are spiritually blind. And that our role is to help them. This is what we've got to be careful of. Is that oftentimes the way the church views this is I've got to go tell you how blind you are. And change you first, instead of coming to you and helping you know how much God loves you. And then your eyes are open, the scales fall off, and you realize His love, and then you're no longer spiritually blind. The Bible says, when I come to know God, I am removed, my spiritual blindness is removed. But also, we have to be about helping people who are physically blind. And you could take any number of ailments that people might have here, but He wants His church to be engaged in helping those who are physically handicapped, physically either they have cancers or they have, you know, disabilities in some way or they in some way can't function in life because they're physically unable. He says, I want you to be the ones who come along beside them. I have a dream. I have a dream, he says. And then the next one is liberty. He says, I have a dream that my church would be engaged in liberty, justice for the oppressed. And I just, right now there's a movement across our land right now and the movement is strong and it's about setting those free who are, uh, slaves, in human slavery, human trafficking that's going on today. It's a huge movement, and the church is leading out in this whole area of setting those who are captives, setting those who are enslaved free. Human slavery, especially human sex trade. Now, I want us to be involved in that, and Jesus does too, because they need help. People who are in slavery need a voice. They need someone to stand up for them. And we have the means and the voice and the strength and the numbers to do it. Jesus said, I have a dream. I have a dream. And then the last one, he says this, and I think it's really interesting that he says this, is joy. I have a dream that my church would be a place of joy. I have a dream that it would be about proclaiming the what? Favor of the Lord. If you don't know what the favor of the Lord is, the favor of the Lord is God's blessings upon you. Psalm 23, 3 says, Surely the goodness of the Lord will pursue me all the days of my life. The picture there, as I'm going through my life, and God's chasing me down. He's chasing me down. I can't run fast enough to get away from him. And he's just pouring his blessings out on me. And because his blessings are poured out on me, I have tremendous joy. And this is what he says to his church. I want you to proclaim that message the message of joy. Now, think about it a minute. When people who don't go to church, think about those who go to church, what's the first thing that they think of? Do you think it's joy? Typically, do you think it's joy? Ah, you guys are just really too serious here, okay? <laughs> it's not joy. There's not a trick question. They think of another J word, right? Judgment. Judgment. And God said, no, I want you to be a place. I want you to be the place where grace is dispensed. I want you and I dream that you would be a place where people are set free. I dream that you would be a place where the wounded are healed, the disenfranchised are included, that the oppressed are given liberty and that joy would overflow. 
That's the dream that Jesus had. That's the dream that Jesus came to give. And it's twofold. It's physical and it's spiritual. Here's our danger. The danger is we'll focus on one over the other. The danger is that we'll say, oh, it feels so good to help people. It feels so good to help people. I hope that by helping them, they'll see that I'm from Jesus. Or it's so good to tell people that they're going to hell without Jesus. <laughs> and so, I don't know, you guys don't do that. But in other words, it's so good to just be so focused on the spiritual and I'll let the physical take care of itself. But Jesus says, I have a dream that my church will be engaged in both, not one without the other. If we're only involved in helping people physically, we're a good social club. And we're not able to help people with their deepest need and it's their souls. If we're only engaged in their souls then what we've done is we've missed Jesus' words when he says, here's the people that I'm going to admire someday in heaven. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I needed clothing and you clothed me. I was in captivity and you set me free. Jesus wants us to be involved in both. Now, what I understand is dreams require energy to be fulfilled. And so I was thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, here we are at 20 years. Here we are at 20 years. And um, honestly, I'll just be real honest. I'm kind of tired. <laughs> I'm in the middle of, you know, treatments, got a, just a boatload of stuff going on, and I'm just thinking, okay, what? Here we go, Ryan. Your job is to inspire people for the next decade. I thought, okay, God, I can do that with your help. But you know what, God? I can't run the next decade on the energy that Ron Thompson has right now. And God said to me, I heard him say this. I didn't ask you to. I didn't ask you to. 20 years, you've run this race with my power. I'm not asking you to start doing it on yours now. And that's the third thing that we need to remember, that as we do this together, is I need to lean into the power of Jesus. I need to lean into the power of Jesus. I need to lean into his power. Now notice this. This is what's so cool. Even Jesus needed supernatural power. Even Jesus needed supernatural power. It says in Luke 4, 18, it says, Jesus is talking, he says, The Spirit is the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. He has given me what I need. And we all know that later on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, later on, Jesus says this to his church right before he goes to heaven. He says this to us. He says, you, now, my church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will have the same power that Jesus had as he walked on the face of the earth. And here's what will happen because you have power. You will live my dream. You can do it. You will be my witnesses in your neighborhood, in your city, in your county, in your state, in your world. You will be the deliverers of my dream. You will. And at the end of Jesus' life, he says in John chapter 20, he says this. He says, as the Father sent me. Well, how the Father send him? To inaugurate the kingdom of God and to live the dream, as the Father sent me, I, so I send you. So my question to us today as we wrap up is this. Where are the poor in your world? Do you know people that literally would be 
so destitute that they can't do anything to change their situation physically or spiritually? Do you know them? Or is your whole world centered around church and being comfortable? Where are those who are captives in your life? Do you know people that are stuck in drug addiction, that are stuck in sexual addiction, pornography, abusive behaviors, people that are stuck in depression, people who need out, stuck in abusive relationships? Do you know people who are broken? How close do you get to people that are blind, that are hurting? Do you know people who are oppressed? Who are just being beaten down. No one believes in them. No one thinks that there's hope for them. And Jesus would say then, are you bringing joy to the world? Well, that's the dream I think he's given us. I think he's called us to help the world. And we get to do it together. Together we get to do it. And that's what this next song is all about. It's talking about that we will go for him together. Let's listen. <laughs> oh, my word. That was great. Wow. Whew. Okay, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, that's the cry of my heart. And I pray it's the cry of your church. That we will go all the way with you. It's your dream. You've given it to us. God, give us the strength. Give us the passion. Let us not get distracted. Let us put aside our differences, our disagreements. Let us be about the mission of Jesus Christ. I pray that that's what we'd be known for. A price of love, acceptance, grace, freedom, recovery, restoration, and joy. Oh, what a dream. Help us to fulfill it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.